This podcast is a Keep Sweden Tidy Foundation production. Hello, plastic-free oceans. This is the podcast where we are following the progress of transforming the market on plastic products and packaging in Sweden, ultimately moving away from taking, making and wasting to a circular plastics economy. I'm Malin Letten, I'm the host, and today we have Inga Melando with us, expert fisheries and market at WWF in Sweden. In this episode, we'll talk about fisheries and aquaculture and the leakage looking at the products that are used in the operations. And with the leakage, I mean what's ending up in the ocean. Jane, you're joining us for the interview today with Inga. Let's dive right into it. I'm thinking about the lost or abandoned fishing gear. How is it a problem or why is it a problem, Inga? Um, it's estimated that ghost gear makes up at least 10% of the marine litter. And um, it's one of the deadliest forms of marine plastic debris. So if you look at the impacts, approximately 66 of marine mammals, 50% of seabirds, and all species of sea turtles are negatively impacted by um, marine debris. And it's also estimated that somewhere between 5 and 30% of the global harvest of um, wild fish stocks are also killed by ghost gear. And... Besides these problems that I mentioned, it's also destroying wildlife, um, vital marine habitats. Um, and these habitats or the, an intact, resilient ocean could also help us tackle climate change. So this loss of biodiversity and loss of important habitats and ecosystem services um, renders the ocean vulnerable and impaired and also res- uh, less resilient and hence um doesn't, won't be as able to adapt to climate change. And also what is really important to um, remember is that approximately 3 billion people in the world rely on wild caught and farm seafood as their primary source of protein. And also um, the ghost gear can also have a negative impact on um, the coral reefs, seagrass, meadows, um, and mangroves. And all of these ecosystems or habitats are very important nursery and reproduction areas for numerous species. Uh, so Inga, do you know of any initiatives working uh, to mitigate or to reduce the amount of uh, lost or abandoned fishing gear globally? Um, there is an initiative, Triple GI, which stands for the Global Ghost Gear Initiative, and it is an international Um, world-spanning organization, and they work together with, um, it's like a cross-sectoral, so they work with NGOs, they work with companies, they work with the fisheries, they work with the aquaculture sector, um, section, sorry, and so they have three aims, so um, number one is to improve the health of marine ecosystems, number two, to safeguard human health and livelihoods, and then number three, to protect marine life from harm. Um, so their goal is to to mitigate and reduce um, the amount of ghost gear that is found in our oceans. 
Mm. So then uh, we might see some work on that also in the uh, Baltic region, but uh, maybe not yet. Maybe not yet, but you know, once people know about the organization, that could also work as an incentive to contact them and, and start looking at the situation in the Baltic because um, I have a number of around 5,000 to 10,000 gillnet pieces is lost in the Bal uh, Baltic Sea annually. So there is a problem in the Baltic as well, but um, in comparison, I guess, to, to the situation globally, um, mm. not that much has really been done about the plastic situation or the Golskia situation in the Baltic historically. So Inge, uh, what are some of the most common reasons to lose, discard or abandon fishing gear? Um, well, most of them are um, because of snagging, so that the equipment will either um, snag on to, to boulders or reefs or maybe you know, sh shipwrecks. Mm -hmm. um, and then also we have environmental factors, so that could be different weather conditions, ice, storm, currents waves, rough weather, um, and then we have uh, conflicts, and that could entail when other vessels trawling in the same fishing area that they collide um, accidentally. Um, it could also be theft or sabotage, and then we also have discarded, that means um, that you have damaged gear or you might have too much gear for the space um, that you have available on board, so you throw it overboard. Economical pressure, um, littering. Um, sometimes, if damaged gear becomes, um, or if you have gear that becomes broken, you may just toss it overboard. And then also, sometimes it could be abandoned, and that's um, something that you can find if it's um, IUU fishing, illegal fishing, mm. or if you have the wrong type of gear for a certain fishing trip. So there are many different reasons, uh, reasons, but a lot of it is often that it snags onto underwater objects. Yeah, wow. Then it it's, uh, seems like there are a lot of action happening out at sea, uh, both with uh, colliding fishing vessels and I don't know, what not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I'm thinking, um, because of the many reasons behind it, do you have any examples of like, how could it be prevented? Well, if you, um, well, first of all, if you have um, an accident or if you, you by chance lose your fishing gear, um, that you should call in to the um, respective authorities and let them know that you had an accident with your gear. Um, you could also improve the gear marking system, um, enhance retrieval procedures, um, also with education to raise awareness um, of the damage that's caused by, by ghost gear. You can have a look at the different fishing strategies, see if they need to be revised and also um, improve gear construction. I'm thinking that we are within the scope of the EPR Extended Producer Responsibility Scheme. How is the EPR applied in the context to reduce marine plastic pollution? Well, if you have a look at the legislation um, from the European Union, it's this um, rule applies not to the fishermen, but to the actual producer of the fishing gear. So they currently have three bullet points. So um, 
producers should cover the cost of separating collection of waste fishing gear containing plastic um, that has been delivered to um, different port reception facilities um, in accordance with the directive. And they should also um, conduct or, or work with um, awareness raising measures. And then also once if this um, fishing gear or plastic is dropped off at the ports, then they should also be responsible for transport and treatment or recycling of them. Um, do you have any like uh, concrete examples of how this works, like in practice in the uh, Baltic region? In the European Union, we have a fund called European Maritime Fisheries and Aquaculture Fund, and they have financial aid for different areas, but one of these areas uh, actually targets the retrieval um, of lost gear. So that is one way that you could apply for funding from, from the European Maritime Fisheries and Aquaculture Fund. And then if we look closer to home, to Sweden, we have um, SWAM, which is the Swedish Agency for Marine and Water Management. And they have recently um, developed a tool that's called ghost gear for reporting found or lost fishing gear. So if you, it could be a, as a, a private person, if you come across or find abandoned or lost fishing gear, then you can report it. And they have on their web page, they have a um, link to this um, tool that's called the ghost gear. And then I'm thinking about the uh, aquaculture as well in the Baltic region. Um, what do you say would be the most common way of operating fish farms? in the Baltic Sea region? Um, well, in the Baltic, since it's a brackish ecosystem, we really don't have that many aquaculture farms. Um, the Finnish have rainbow trout farms um, around Åland. And then um, you have a couple of blue mussel farms, but that more that's more on a scientific pilot study level. So most of the aquaculture that takes place in the Baltic ecoregion is uh, inland waters, mm. aquaculture production. But then, of course, um, there may be, you know, like plastic or trays or nets. There has been, maybe not in the Baltic, but in other regions, if you have a look at it globally, that you have, or we have begun to to discover and recognize that aquaculture also contributes to, to um, the plastic litter problem in the world. So it's not necessarily such a big concern in the Baltic yet, but it's always good to to take precautionary measures mm, to yeah. prevent it from becoming so. So the, there might be a link of also like um, sources of aquaculture related litter reaching the Baltic Sea from the um, aquaculture that's well, yeah. all in the area. That's exactly. In the, yeah. Um, so if we then go a little bit deeper into that question, what kind of waste and litter could you expect from an aquaculture facility in the Baltic Sea? So you mentioned a few examples, but do you have any more? Um, so this is not necessarily the Baltic, but if you look at aquaculture in general, you could expect um, debris or plastic pollution um, of nets, floats, buoys, ropes, um, collecting materials, strapping materials. It could be clothing cover materials, tags, it could also be from um, the aquaculture feed, but that would be more like um, 
you know, storage, things like that is what you could expect to find. But once again, if this is true for the Baltic, I honestly haven't been able to to find any documentation. Yeah, so it would be for aquaculture, like in general. In general, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, So then there seem to be some similarities to like uh, fisheries that we're talking about in the beginning uh, of the interview, like what what sorts of products could be at risk of being discarded um, or reaching the ocean. Exactly. So it's it's pretty much it could be similar, uh, similar. But um, the thing with the fisheries is that that is an active um, process or an active activity going on, so that you're dragging the nets through the water um, above or maybe on the the bottom habitat. So therefore, it's it's a much higher risk of you know your fishing nets getting snagged onto different. Um, mm. objects or bottom substrates. Yeah, yeah. But then again, if you have a lot of aquaculture farms, um, I guess along the shoreline, you could expect to have marine litter um, coming from those farms rather than the fisheries. For this episode, we have a long list of links where you can learn even more about the different initiatives that we have been talking about. You'll find everything from EPR schemes, ghost gear reports, international agreements and conventions, non-binding guidelines and resolutions and the SUP directive. Check it out.